I know, I know, I know, I know. We damn near lost to Missouri State at home. Somehow Bobby Petrino almost found a way to embarrass this university for a second time. Then we got A&M fans out here on Twitter calling Arkansas overrated for our game this past weekend and that we played bad and we should be embarrassed. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a glaring difference between our bad game and their bad game, right? I mean, it's pretty clear cut how stupid their yell leaders are. I mean... We won our bad game. They lost theirs. Stupid point, nonetheless. I see Nebraska's looking for a head coach. I think I think most Arkansas fans would know a guy who could probably turn it around. Hint, hint. Nonetheless, Hogs avoided an absolute disaster Saturday night in a game that I even think my dog Ketch overlooked. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, Episode Cinco. In this podcast, we provide in-depth information about the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top two, not two. I know it. You know it. We all know it. In this podcast, we also preview and recap weekly matchups, recruiting updates, NIL news, and updates across professional hogs, whatever sport it is you may follow. Hog fans piss me off sometimes. You know, when we have gotten so greedy that we just seem to complain about everything that doesn't go our way. Did we play bad? Yes. Did we almost lose? Yes. But does that mean that the Hogs, in quotes, deserve to lose or that we, in quotes, should lose because of our playing? No, not at all. I mean, how can you call yourself an actual Razorback fan and say shit like that? Like, I understand being frustrated at the team or, you know, rather taking a Razor scooter to the, to the shin nine times in a row than watch us run the ball in fourth and nine. That's completely acceptable. But wishing a loss upon us because of how we played bad for a quarter and a half – you can take that crap and find the door with it. Hogs are 3-0 and for the second straight season. And victorious for the first time as a top-10 team in over 10 years since Bob Petrino was here last. You know, we're heading to Dallas, Texas to take on game one of an absolute gauntlet of a stretch of games through the middle part of the season. This is our biggest test yet on both sides of the ball. And why that is, well, let's get to my view on it. First down at 15, at the 15. Deep ball from Jefferson. Got him in stride. It's a touchdown, Arkansas. 85 yards. All righty. How we're kicking off this week's episode, how we had the past two weeks, where Peyton was right, where Peyton was wrong on the weekend. Where Peyton was right is the Hogs offense hit well over 500 yards, a total offense. And, you know, we got off to a slower start than any of us would have liked or ever thought we would have against a team like Missouri State. Our first four drives consisted of punt, Fumble, fumble, and punt. And one of those fumbles came at the f- one freaking yard line. Hogs offense got it done when we needed to. We scored quick. We scored fast. Yeah, we had some turnovers, but we'll get to that later. Racked up nearly 400 yards passing and well over 200 yards on the ground. Had about 597 yards total offense. Like I said, outside of some careless turnovers, offense isn't the issue, and it's the main reason why we're 3-0. and Next, the Hogs cut down the penalties on Saturday compared from – or compared to the South Carolina game, we had 10 in the South Carolina game. We had six this game. It was the least amount of penalties we've had in a game all season. 
this is something I'd like to continue. And, you know, while we can't eliminate penalties altogether, I like the trend of not picking up as many penalties and where Peyton was wrong. And boy, this is the most I've been wrong on all season. I mean, plays of the weekend just continue to spiral downward. I mean, last week I said we're in a steady decline, but not at rock bottom. We're damn near at rock bottom. I mean, if you want to win money, just fade what I say and you'll probably be okay. Penn State easily covered plus three. Miami failed to cover. Mississippi State looked like crap. Peyton's plays of the weekend falls to two, four, and one. It's absolutely horrendous. Now for what caused me and probably most of y'all to have damn near conniption on Saturday night was a combination of our pass coverage, our tackling, and almost just seemed like a lack of effort. I mean, I haven't seen a tackling performance that bad since Brett Bielema. And outside of Drew Sanders, it was almost assumed that our first defender to the ball probably wasn't bringing down the ball carrier. The secondary is, to, is honestly to blame for a lot of the missed tackles, and sure, Simeon Blair had 10 tackles, but he probably missed 20 more. I mean, reason why he had that many tackles is because he was being targeted so daggum much. He was lined up over the slot receiver about 48 yards off the ball, and they were just throwing out routes on him. Oh, that was annoying. We need Slusher back bad, and I think we're going to have him back this week. And Simeon Blair's a great player for depth. Good award. He continues to prove to us that he cannot cover anyone. And Jaden Johnson, I was hype on him to start the season. I don't know if I don't know what's happening to the guy. I mean, quit being soft. First two weeks, he wanted to be Ed Reed and Troy Palmo trying to take people out. Saturday night, he was playing freaking tiddlywinks. I mean, tiddlywinks, patty cakes, whatever the hell you want to call it. That was embarrassing. I remember specifically one play, they threw an out route to a guy that he was guarding. And instead of you know coming up, hitting the guy, he walked up to him, essentially just tried to touch him. I don't know what he was doing. Couldn't even succeed two-hand touch. I don't, I don't even know what that was. It was awful. Guys were like, oh, come here, sir. Get the hell off me. Shoved Jaden aside, ran for about 20 yards. Lastly, I thought Malik Hornsby and other guys were going to get some snaps on Saturday. Like most of us thought, we thought we were going to be up probably t- you know 21 points, maybe even 30 points. That, you know, we'd be able to kick our feet up, relax on Saturday night, maybe have a glass of wine, have play a bago tournament as some of my friends are planning on doing. But no, none of that went according to plan. Also saw a tweet after the game from Malik Hornsby of the of the facepalm emoji, essentially voicing his frustration, most likely about PT. I mean, we all know he can't control what happened Saturday. I still think we're going to see him this Saturday at AM, probably some against Bama as well, but we'll see. Uh, I thought him and some other guys would be able to get some reps on Saturday. And, yeah, I was wrong on a lot. All right, so this is a new segment I'm inputting this week. I saw Danny West do a column on it, and I thought I'd add it, add it in. So some notable stats through week three. Bumper pool, even though he played like dog doo-doo on Saturday night. He's now in the top five of Arkansas's all-time leading tacklers. And he only needs 31 more to break the school record held by Tony Bua the legend Tony Bua, of 408 tackles in a four-year career. It's averaging around 102 tackles a season. Even further, which is really cool, I didn't even know this, he needs 47 more tackles to become the SEC's all-time leading tackler since 2005. That's pretty impressive. Next, Rocket reached a 440-yard rushing mark faster than any Razorback has has since Darren McFadden in 2007. It's, It's about time that Rocket Sanders start getting some Heisman hype. The guy's electric. He's got big playability written all over him. You know, over the first three games of the 2007 season, McFadden rushed, I think, 86 times for 519 yards and four touchdowns. Sanders currently has 440 yards on 66 carries, three rushing touchdowns, also has eight catches for 117 yards and one receiving touchdown. 
sure that could be skewed a little bit because 75 of those 75 of the 117 yards came on one play on Saturday night. And good Lord, Arkansas somehow leads the country with 17 sacks through three games. You'd have told me that a month ago, I'd have laughed in your face. I mean, to put that in perspective, last year, Arkansas recorded their 17th sack of the season in the 10th game of the season at LSU. And last year in 2001, our defensive line finished the season with 25 sacks in total, which ranked 80th in the nation and second to last in the SEC. I mean, we might break that and I don't know sixth game of the season hell if we could do it this game they, that'd be even better but lastly you can't talk enough about Drew Sanders just to paint y'all a picture bumper finished with seven and a half tackles for loss in 2021 and Hayden Henry led the team with 12 tackles for loss throughout the entirety of the season Sanders has more than half of that in three games lastly about Drew 2018 was the last season where any Razorback forced at least three fumbles in a single season. When Sosa Ajim, or McTevin, Sosa Ajim, and Armand Watts did it that year with three apiece, Sanders already forced two this season. That's pretty insane. All right, recapping the Missouri State game. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, folks. We flat out overlooked Missouri State. I think all of us did. You know, we can say we didn't, but we did to an extent. You know, when the A&M game time got announced at 6 p.m., there's already talks about game day coming to Bama if we if we beat A&M. We overlooked this team. I did, you did, and he acknowledged that in the post-game press conference. He talked about how Petrino outcoached him and outprepared him, which was clearly evident. I mean, we all saw it. I mean, we in the blink of an eye of 17 nothing. Yes, we got a lot to improve on. We do every week, and we will every week until the season ends. But this was the Razorbacks' first top 10 win in well over a decade, like I touched on earlier since Bob Petrino was here last. And we are still 10th in the AP poll. Didn't drop at all, honestly, to my surprise. I thought we'd drop maybe a spot. I mean, you got to give credit to Bob Petrino. We all knew the guy could coach offense. And hell, we saw some of the plays that he used to run at Arkansas. He ran them against us, and they worked. Like that fourth down play-action call, they ran for a touchdown. It was the same exact play that we ran to Chris Gregg against Georgia, I believe, in 2010. Ryan Mallett snapped the ball, faked the handoff to, I believe, Broderick Green, or we had our tight end release. We're running 12 personnel with two tight ends on each side. We had everyone run blocking except for Chris Gregg, who leaked out into the flats and no one covered him. We threw him. We threw it to him for about a 50-yard touchdown. Yeah, I mean, Missouri State can flat-out score. That was probably the best offensive team we've played all season. And, yeah, we might have made them look pretty good, honestly. You know, you can say what you want about Cincy. You can say what you want about South Carolina. We saw it. South Carolina's offense isn't that good. Georgia absolutely beat them into the dirt this past Saturday. Put it in perspective, last year Missouri State didn't have near the personnel they do now. And they damn near went on the road and beat Oklahoma State. He played for a Big 12 title last season. Petrino has something going at Missouri State, and he'll probably get rumored to some bigger jobs after the season, like Nebraska, where I think he should go, even though they keep chanting for Urban Meyer. But anyway, I mean, this wasn't even the most points in yards we'd given up all season. 30 to South Carolina, we gave up 27 to most State, right down the middle. We gave up our most yards on the season to Cincinnati, I believe. The least amount South Carolina, second most here. So it was right down the middle. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not trying to vouch for it. It was only 27 points. It wasn't like they hung 40 on us. But anyway, I'm not trying to, given up all those points and yards, did look worse because it was against Missouri State. I mean, the writing was on the wall for this being one of the worst, if not the worst, loss in Arkansas football program history. 
you know, you talk about the loss of Citadel, you talk about the loss of San Jose State, you talk about the loss to Louisiana Monroe back in the day, but Louisiana Monroe, we had John O. Smith as a coach of Citadel. I don't really know a whole lot about that game. San Jose State, we weren't ranked, and we had Clown Morris as a coach. That just looked bad because Nick Stark threw about 994 interceptions. This would have been the worst because ranked top 10 in the country, and Bob Petrino, our former coach, would have beat us, and we hadn't been in the top 10 since he was here last. That's why it would have been so bad. The players won this game for the Razorbacks, and yeah, it sounds pretty simple, but you can go down the line in history, and there are quite a bit of Arkansas teams in the past that likely would have lost that game that wouldn't have found a way to win that easily just would have put their heads down and tucked their tails and just lost that game. Not this group at all. They got no quit in them. Pittman will be the first to admit he was outcoached like he did. But he's got a team that believes in him and what he's doing, and they'll go to war for him. Our backs were against the wall on Saturday night with the game on the line, and the boys rose to the occasion. They made plays when they needed to. They stepped up in clutch moments. That was the first adversity we'd faced all season, and we handled it well, I thought. Some positive takeaways offensively and defensively will start on the offense. You know, I, we touched on early outside of a few careless turnovers with the KJ fumble, the Rocket fumble, and Trey Knox dropping a pass that eventually was picked off by a Missouri State linebacker. Our offense is good with the team. 31 points against Cincinnati, 40 points against South Carolina, 38 points, well, I guess technically 31, 31 points against Missouri State. They're the glue of this team. They are the reason we are 3-0. Defense hadn't helped out one bit. 597 yards total offense. Executed when we needed to. Moved the chains when we needed to. Our best drive of the game was at the end of the game, up 31-27. I believe we put together about an eight-play f- or eight to ten play drive that lasted about five minutes. We got in the end zone and took up a lot of clock, and that's what helped seal the victory Saturday night. Rocket MFing Sanders, like I talked about earlier. Get the man some Heisman hype. Yes, he fumbled on the one-yard line, but I'll give credit to the linebacker for getting that low and putting his helmet on the football. I mean, he had another crazy good performance on Saturday. 22 carries, 167 yards, one touchdown, two catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. Say what you want, but we might have the best running back in the SEC. And I know we've had a lot of good running backs over the years, but Rocket's different. I mean, he he reminds everyone of number five. I'll say it. Sure, it might be a reach. He leads the SEC in, yard, in rushing yards at 440, which is about 6.7 yards per carry, which is pretty impressive. And he's 123 yards ahead of Zach Evans, Ole Miss's running back, who's in second. Set a new record, new career high in passing yards at 385, threw for two touchdowns, also ran the ball nine times for 40 yards and one touchdown. He's ran for a touchdown in every single game this season. It's honestly something he might do the rest of the season. Matt Landers finally stepped up, and I, I think he caught an unnecessary amount of hate and flack on social media for just dropping one pass last week against South Carolina, and sure, it was a beautiful ball that KJ put on the money. You know, everyone, every receiver drops passes. You know, no matter how well a quarterback could put the ball, guys are going to drop passes. Matt dropped a bad one last week, but he bounced back in a big way this week. Fifth-year senior had seven catches for 123 yards, which is a new career high for him. He didn't get the end zone, but I think that's going to change this week. You know, I'll count this as offense, but when is the last time a punt return helped us or helped the Razorbacks win a football game as as much as it did on Saturday. I mean, Nathan Perotti ran a pump back last year, but before then, I can't tell you the last time when it was he ran a pump back. Bryce Stevens made that cut, went up the sideline. I was just bracing myself for a flag just because of how the night was going and the Arkansas luck. I just felt like somewhere a flag was going to be thrown in, but it wasn't. Joe Adams was in the house on Saturday, 
I think Bryce Stevens did his best Joe Adams impression as he could. Channels a number three from back in the day and took that punt 80 yards for the Potmans. Sent Donald W. into a frenzy. Trey Biddy talked about that was the loudest he'd heard in the stadium all season. Now, this offense has continued to get it done week in and week out. Outside of the sluggish start in the first half, and we came through when we need him to the most. I mean, on top of averaging 37 points per game, continue to move the chains when we need to score, put together long drives to eat up the clock. This offense is our glue. It's our backbone. I hope we can keep it up each game this season, but our defense is going to have to step up and help out, help out the offense at times if we want to achieve a 10-win season or compete for an SEC title or anything like that. All right, positive takeaways defensively. Like I said earlier, if I told you a month ago that our D-line would be leading the nation in sacks, I would have laughed – Probably would have laughed in your face, told you to get some water because you drunk. You know, the defensive line group, I'd probably add Drew Sanders in there because he is leading our team in sacks. We had eight sacks on Saturday night. It's absolutely ridiculous. And five tackles for loss. And thank the good Lord for the transfer portal. Because if we didn't have Jordan Dominique, Landon Jackson, Drew Sanders, Terry Hampton, and Dwight McLaughlin, could you imagine how bad our defense would be? We'd, we'd be giving up probably 40 points. We might be 1-2. and two. Hell, we, we could be 0-3 oh if we didn't have those guys on the defense side of the ball. And I don't think that's that outlandish, if I'm being completely honest. Jordan Dominate, Landon Jackson, and Drew Sanders had five and a half of our eight sacks on Saturday. It's pretty impressive. Those guys are really, really, really good for us, and I can't believe I ever taught down on Jordan Dominique or Landon Jackson to start the season. I got to put some respect on their name. What I'm really happy to see is Zach Williams finally coming into his own. He had two sacks on Saturday night. He's kind of lived in the shadows of Jordan Dominique and Drew Sanders. And, you know, we hadn't heard his name a whole lot. Really happy for him. Really hope he can keep it up. And we're going to need him to, especially heading into this weekend. I know we've touched on it a little bit, talking about his stats earlier, but Drew Sanders might be the most versatile and best linebacker to ever put on a Hog uniform. Hell, he could be the best Hog defensive player to ever put on the uniform. It's only been three games, and I don't think that's that far-fetched. I mean, he is all over the field. Yeah, he balled out against South Carolina. We all know that. Then he backed it up this week. 12 tackles, two and a half sacks, one pass breakup. Then had an absolute hit stick on third and one in the third quarter. Jacardi Wright's hurting. You know, he popped right back up and said he was okay. He got his ass popped by Drew. Drew Sanders leads SEC with five and a half sacks, and he's tied for second in the country. I can't tell you the last time we had a guy tied for second in the country in a defensive stat. Montero Brown, I think, led the SEC in interceptions last year, but he wasn't top two in the country. His biggest sack of the night came in the fourth quarter when we brought him off the edge. We ran a little stunt with the defensive end. Or, well, excuse me, we ran a little stunt where Sanders was – over the left tackle, Jordan Dominique was the defensive end on his left side, and Jordan Dominique um, rushed in front of Drew's face and tried to beat the left tackle, and Drew was able to beat the left guard of Missouri State and slung down the quarterback Shelley for a loss, which forced a third and 22, and two plays later, Bryce Stevens took the punt back to the house. I mean, Drew's a matchup nightmare. He might be the only reason we continue to run a forefront against Texas A&M. Areas of improvement. Yeah, we got a lot of them. I know it. And it's mainly on the defensive side of the ball, but we got some offensively. I've talked about KJ's inconsistency. Yeah, he can he can swing the ball around pretty well, but there's some throws that he misses that are bad. And when he misses throws, he mainly misses them short. I know to start the game on, I believe, like third and four, first drive of the game, Jane Hazelwood's a wide open, grounds it. I mean, damn near threw it four yards in front of him. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of throws that KJ had that were bad, 
but he get, he tends to get some happy feet in the pocket sometimes whenever you know maybe his first or second option isn't there and I think he should just simplify it more and just take off and run the plays run to Matt Landers or Jane Hazel when you look up and both guys aren't there and you don't feel like looking to the third guy through your progressions just take off six three two forty five you're going to barrel forward and get yards for us but nonetheless KJ's been great for us. He can continue doing what he's doing. I can continue to harp on the things that I harp on, but we're still going to be great with him. Overall, offensively, it's the ball security. That's the most we fumbled and really turned the ball over ever under Sam Pittman that I can remember outside of year one, which can't be careless with the football. I mean, that football game is a lot different on Saturday if we cut out turnovers. I mean, because Missouri State capitalized on all three of them. I mean, they we had three turnovers. They had 17 points off, off turnovers. And Bryles... For the love of good and everything holy, do not run the effing football on fourth and nine. Hell, anything for I don't I don't care if it's fourth and three, fourth and four. That's okay to run the football, but fourth and nine, what are you doing? I mean, we've all seen the draw plays that everyone hates on third and ten that Browse loves to run. Yes, they've gone for first downs occasionally, and maybe even you know once in every blue moon it goes for a touchdowns, but. When they don't work, they look awful. They look awful. But that's on third and ten. Sure, we get that. It's not on fourth and nine. What are you doing? I mean, I think that's even worse than, you know, if we were to go for it on fourth and nine and throw like a two-yard hitch route. At least we threw the ball, didn't run it. What the hell was that about? I don't care who you are or your views or intellect on the game of football, but nobody, and I mean nobody, understands running the football between the freaking guards on on fourth and nine nobody does defensively i mean just across the entire defense mainly just secondary is an area of improvement and we'll talk more about secondary later but the biggest area area of improvement is tackling what the hell was that crap this is the worst tackling performance I've seen from an Arkansas team since Brett Bielema i'm not even going to talk about Chad Moore's teams just because they they weren't good in their entirety Bumper pull at his worst tackling performance maybe of the season on Saturday and probably in his career. Jaden Johnson playing Tilly Winks, touched on it earlier, and even Worms were able to get out of the way of Latavius Brainy's tackles. I mean, I honestly think there was a lack of effort defensively in the first half from time to time. Way too often, it seemed like we were reaching for guys and lunging to make tackles instead of pressing the hip, breaking down, keep your head up, and wrapping up. If this shit doesn't get fixed by Saturday... Anaya Smith and Devon Achan are going to run all over us, and we're going to have nightmares. All right, views from the Hill SEC rankings, a.k.a. the Hill's hierarchy. How I got the SEC teams ranked 1-14, to 14, Georgia, Bama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, A&M, Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina, Auburn, Vandy, and Mizzou. Georgia whooped South Carolina. Georgia's the best team in the country, and I won't be convinced otherwise. They've allowed 10 points the entire season. And they gave up their first touchdown, I believe, with like a minute left in the fourth quarter on Saturday. It was 48 to nothing. Bama looked back at their peak form, won 63-7 against Louisiana Monroe, and covered as 50-point favorites. Pretty impressive. But hell, Louisiana Monroe played them close for a couple minutes, so we might as well rank them, right? I mean, that's the Texas logic. Arkansas got that dub, we all know. Kentucky won 31 to 0 against Youngstown State, Gold Penguins. Tennessee won 63 to 6 against Akron. They got their biggest test of the season against Ford on Saturday. 
Ole Miss won 42 to nothing against Georgia Tech. Honestly, pretty impressive to shut out a Power 5 school. I'll give them credit there. And Dart seems to be their, their QB1. LSU moved up a few spots from last week. They won 31 to 16 against Mississippi State. They scored 21 points in the fourth quarter, which helped them seal the deal for Brian Kelly's first win in the SEC. And honestly, Mississippi State didn't look very good, but I'll give LSU credit. They played well in the second half. A&M won 17-9 against Miami, and Miami had every opportunity to win that game. We're going to touch on that a little bit later. Mississippi State, like we talked about, lost 16-31 to to LSU. They looked extremely beatable, struggled to move the ball in the second half, and it raises the question. I know they didn't have a ton of hype, but are, are they overrated? Is Leach on the hot seat? I guess we'll find out. Florida won 31-28 against South Florida. And, hell, I thought Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson was the next best thing to slice bread. Well, funny stat. I thought this was hilarious. He has more tackles, three, than passing touchdowns this entire season, zero. He has three tackles on the season, no passing touchdowns. But, hell, you know what? He's probably only dropped one spot in the Heisman rankings. South Florida could have won this game. They missed a game-time field goal with 23 seconds left, or else this game was going to overtime. I could see Tennessee rolling or rolling against Florida. That could be a play of the week. We'll see. South Carolina got that ass whoop. Spencer Rattler, better update that LinkedIn, my brother, because these playing days are coming to an end soon. And Shane Beamer, I'm sure you all saw the clip of him getting mad at some reporter named Phil, and, you know, talking about the team's giving up yet. I mean, which who knows? They might have, but Shane Beamer gives us some serious Chad Morris vibes. Auburn got that ass whooped by Penn State. Lost 12-41. to Tank Bidsby's got to leave after this year. His talent's being wasted at Auburn. And, they got a, and Auburn's got a real problem at quarterback. T.J. Finley's not the answer. You'd think they'd throw Calzada in there and maybe try to play the Oregon transfer. Who knows? Vandy I should have been my play of the weekend. But Vandy is, Vandy's 3-1 on the season. And they already hit their, their over on wins for the season. It was at 2.5. Four games in, they've hit it. Hey, Vandy might be able to come up. Not really, but I still think they're better than Mizzou. Missouri, I got them ranked dead last in the SEC, and that will not change. They score, this school flat-out sucks. I don't even want to give them the credit for beating Abilene Christian. 135 and a touchdown through the first quarter for Arkansas. A.J. Jefferson fires out of the backfield on the run. A.J. Green, Green inside the 30, bounces off. Goodbye. A.J. Green, touchdown, Arkansas. All right, now to previewing Texas A&M. This is the biggest test of the season thus far, and honestly, it's a game that could define our season. I mean, we damn near lost Saturday, and after Pittman admitting that he got out coached and out prepared. I expect the Hawks to be the most prepared and game ready we've been all season come Saturday night in AT&T Stadium. Well, we all know this game's close every year. Probably going to be the same one on Saturday. On paper, this is the most talented team that Jimbo Fisher has probably ever had as a head coach, dating back to Florida State and wherever the hell he was before. This team's got a lot of talent on paper. However, the Hogs are the better team heading into this game, in my opinion. And for the first time, I think since 2011, will be the better ranked team than when we play each other on Saturday. Everyone knows A&M lost to App State in Week 2 and honestly barely beat Miami on Saturday. It was pretty ugly and sloppy. It's all in the past. Both teams are 0-0 this week. I just hope for the Hawks to go 1-0. This game looks a lot more winnable than it did a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of people at A&M beating us before the season. 
But as we know, things happen in college football. They're starting their second quarterback on the season. But they got two of the most dynamic playmakers we're probably going to see all season with Anaya Smith and Devon A-Chain. A-Chain tore Alabama to shreds last year. Anaya Smith has had success against Arkansas. A-Chain didn't do a whole lot last year, but neither did Anaya Smith. Anaya Smith had a big game in 2020 against us, but not last year. A-Chain's a do-it-all guy. He... He's led the Aggies in rushing and return yards each game, and Anaya Smith has led the Aggies in receiving in two of their three games. AM runs an extremely balanced and apparently complex offense. Jimbo's given up play calling duties, but they want to open up the run before going to the air. A chain's their bell cow. He's had he's got forty six carries on the season for 196 yards, two touchdowns, which isn't crazy, but I believe Haynes Keene, Haynes King is their second leading ball carrier, and he's their backup quarterback. So a-Chain's really going to be the only guy getting the ball in terms of handoffs on Saturday. Formerly, it was at LSU. He started against the Ridgebacks last season, but was pulled after one series. They put in that Mussmeyer kid, or however you say his name, Nussmeyer, I don't know. And honestly, I think LSU might have had a better chance to win if Max Johnson would have stayed in the game. Haynes King started the first two games of the season for Texas A&M, was 1-1 as a starter, and after the App State game, he was benched. He was 33-51 on the season for 65% completion percentage threw for 461 yards three touchdowns and two ints with 14 carries for 52 yards however max johnson got the nod on saturday night when they beat miami 17 to 9 his numbers weren't that impressive honestly he was 13 for 24 with 163 yards and one touchdown he also ran eight times for 34 yards but the reason why he ran the ball eight times is because a&m loves to run naked schemes and rpos and so just to dumb it down for y'all, there's three options in an RPO in a naked scheme, but we'll just touch on RPO for right, for right now. So it all comes from the quarterback's read of the defensive end first and then the linebacker. So ready, set, hut, the ball snap, quarterback reads the defensive end. If he stays put, he's going to give it to A-chain. If he sticks it in A-chain's stomach and the defender crashes down on A-chain, Max Johnson is going to pull it and run. If he sticks the ball in A-chain's stomach, the DN crashes and Johnson pulls it and the linebacker comes crashing down on him. You know, if it's the middle linebacker or the outside linebacker, and it's probably going to have a bubble screen towards the sideline or they're going to have a slant route going over the middle of the field. So if the inside linebacker crashes, Max will pull it and throw the slant. If they have an outside linebacker crashing, Max will pull it and probably throw a spot route to his wide receiver or a bubble screen. Or he'll throw a tight end release across the middle of the field if the middle backer crashes. But anyway... They love to run an RPO, and honestly, all offenses are kind of RPO now. But Arkansas runs the RPO in rocket stomach, pulling it and then throwing it unless it's a naked scheme where we'll pull it and throw like a one-yard out route to a tight end, which never works. But anyway, receiving-wise, Texas A&M's two biggest threats are going to be Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart. Anaya Smith is a senior. Evan Stewart's one of the highly coveted true freshmen they brought in. Anaya Smith, he leads the Aggies with 14 catches for 259 yards, which is about 18 yards per catch, which is pretty impressive, and two touchdowns. And Evan Stewart's got 10 catches for 105 yards for about a 10.5-yard-per-catch average. However, Evan Stewart missed Saturday night's game for disciplinary reasons, but we all know he'll be back against Arkansas. There was a few freshmen for A&M that missed or that had to sit out for disciplinary reasons. I'm sure some of y'all saw the video of one of their freshmen speeding throughout a parking garage there and honestly could have hurt somebody or even himself. A&M also likes to get Devon A-Chain 
um, the ball in space out of the back. They'll use him as a wide receiver out of the backfield. They'll like to line him up at running back and run swing routes and try to get a linebacker matched up with him and just create matchups or they'll motion him out into the slot. They'll throw bubble screens to him. They'll motion him out out wide. They'll tunnel screens to him. They just want to get him in the ball as much as they can. It's going to be another test for the Hawks secondary on Saturday, and not just coverage-wise, but mainly tackling after the catch. What's killed Arkansas in the pass against A&M is poor tackling. But other than that, I mean, the Angus couldn't move the football, really. I mean, we kept everything in front of us, gang tackling, flying around, hitting people, and it, we have to do the same this year if we want to win. And we held, we held them to 10 points last year, and by God, if we held them to 10 points this year, I think I think Hog fans would throw a parade on Dixon Street on Monday. But yes, A&M hasn't scored a ton of points this season. Like I said earlier, they've only scored seven offensive touchdowns. But they definitely have the capability to score a lot more and score quickly. I mean, this team put up maybe more points than we did on Alabama last year. Jimbo's going to try to get Anaya Smith the ball whenever he can and get A-Chain the ball whenever he can in space because... Those are their guys. Those are their seniors. They're the most experienced and battle-tested guys on that Aggie team on offense and defense. All right, A&M defense. This is also going to be the best defense the Hogs have faced all season. I believe A&M's only allowing 8.5 points per game on average. They shut out Sam Houston State in Week 1, gave up 17 points at State in a game that they lost. They only gave up 9 points to Miami on Saturday somehow. Miami should have scored a lot more, but... The A&M defense has only allowed two touchdowns all year, and both of them came in that state game. A&M and Arkansas are both similar in the fact that they run a 4-2-5 defense, and which requires a lot of man-to-man coverage. The Aggies mainly look to sell out on the run, and they'll probably look to do that against Arkansas to neutralize a rushing attack. And if you all remember, the way we beat them last year was honestly two big pass plays. Yeah, we had some success running the football, but we didn't just gash them like we did Texas or Missouri or some of these other teams we played. But... Miami does give up, or not Miami, excuse me, A&M does give up a lot of yards in total. They gave up 181 yards on the ground, excuse me, 175 yards on the ground against Miami, and then 181 yards on the ground against App State. So hopefully if the Hogs are able to get the ground game going, we'll be A-OK because it seems like that's probably the weak point of this A&M defense. They get, they're very, very young up front, and honestly, all around their defense, they're, they're really, really young. So Hopefully our senior-led offensive line group can get a push and we can stay ahead, stay ahead of the chains most of the night. I mean, their defense definitely, in my opinion, has the most upside on the team, though. It's going to be the youngest team the Hawks face all season, which I believe is an advantage for us. I talked about that in the first episode of this podcast. I talked about how we're going to have the experience factor in that game. Those A&M freshmen haven't played in a game of this magnitude before. A&M's only got four upperclassmen starting for them defensively, and I think two of them are in the secondary. Other than that, so that means two guys across the front seven are upperclassmen. The rest are sophomores and freshmen. I mean, their defense is going to keep them in every game this season, but their defense definitely had holes. Miami, had, I correct myself from early, they had 392 yards total offense. They outgained A&M by well over 100 yards. They had 27 first downs to A&M's nine. They were 5 for 14 on third downs. They were in 25 more plays, punted less, and had the ball for nine more minutes. So how the hell did A&M win? Well, Miami's offense was really good from the 30 to the 30. You know, they were very, very good in the middle of the field. They were great getting into the getting into red zone territory, but once they got inside the red zone, they couldn't ever convert. They dropped a lot of passes on Saturday, 
and they constantly shot themselves in the foot with penalties. They missed field goals on top of kicking the three that they made. All in all, I think the Hogs are going to be able to move, move the football in the Aggies, but we cannot commit costly turnovers or shoot ourselves in the foot with penalties like we did, like we did against Missouri State and South Carolina. All right, now for the most important part of Saturday, the pivotal matchups to watch. It's our defense and turnovers. Sure, the Hog front seven has played amazing this season, far better than we ever could have asked. They're going to have to bring their A game Saturday night. Yes, A&M hasn't scored a lot of points this season like we talked about, but they've only allowed four sacks the entire season. And yes, they've only played Miami, App State, and Sam Houston State. Four sacks is four sacks. It's probably going to be the second-best offensive line group we played all season besides or behind Cincinnati. Last season, I believe the main reason we were able to win is because our defensive line, you know, Ridgeway and Trey Williams and Markel Utzi were given A&M fits. They lived in the backfield. That was Calzada's, I think, second game as a starter, and he was rattled the entire time, threw the ball away a lot. Missed a ton of throws. He was just flat out uncomfortable. He got hit a lot. The Hogs have got to do the same on Saturday if we want any chance to win, as the productivity of our defensive line is going to determine the amount of stress that is put on our secondary. We all know this is a must-win game for us. Every game from here on out is a must-win, I believe. And it's going to require our secondary to figure it the hell out, frankly. I mean, what we've done the first three games isn't it. Something's got to change. Something. I don't care what it is. Coverage, personnel whatever it may be. Or Pittman talked about yesterday about how he's going to start shifting things around in the secondary. He's going to put the best five DBs out there. Doesn't care who it is. We saw some different guys play different positions on Saturday. Hell, we saw Hudson Clark not start at corner, but he played a lot of nickel and he played a lot of safety, which was interesting. And he rotated in at corner. Put this into perspective about how bad the Hawks secondary is playing, and somehow we're still 3-0, which is more impressive in my mind. The passing defense is the worst in the FBS out of 131 teams. So we're 131st out of 131 teams. Combine it with FCS teams, we're 251 out of 254 teams. Combine it with all D2 teams, and we're 412 out of 416. Then to make things that much worse, combine it with all D3 teams. So every football team from Division One to Division Three, and we're 649 out of 656. That's bad. That's really, really bad. That might be the worst it's been in 25 years bad. Hogs been running a 4-2-5 scheme like we all know. Mainly in the past, we've only run three fronts because we've just kind of run the bend-don't-break, picket-fence-zone defense, keep everything in front of us. But because our D-line has been doing so well with this forefront, we've kind of just been rolling with it. But it requires more man-to-man, which we can't really run well as we have seen over the first three games. I mean, when we haven't gotten beaten in man-to-man defense and we actually, what seems like we play well, we draw PIs or defensive holdings, which is, you know, this week I think, or I hope Barry Odom will sprinkle in some of that picket fence zone defense so we can keep keep things in front of us, avoid PIs, avoid the defensive holding calls. I'm not saying that's all we have to run. Jump into that picket fence zone, jump out of it, run man-to-man, you're going to confuse a quarterback like Max Johnson and it's going to confuse those freshman receivers, those freshman offensive linemen they have. We're going to need to confuse Max as much as we can. And, you know, the normal situation to this or the normal solution to this would be just to get 
you know, different bodies in there at DB to help solve the issue. But I don't think we have enough bodies to make the changes if we wanted to because we, you know, well, Darius is hurt. Slusher's hurt, but he's coming back this week. Catalan's hurt. Good well, we're going to need Miles Slusher back. He's going to be so big for us. I think he was able to play last week, but they held him out just for precautionary reasons. So I'm kind of glad they did. Or Malik Chavis and Nudie are going to be starting at corner. Hudson's going to rotate in with them. And at nickel, probably at some safety. But, you know, we can live with guys getting good throws and, you know, making good catches on good throwing balls. That's fine. you got to tip your hat to people sometimes. But we can't live with guys getting wide open. I don't care who plays where or how long they play it for, but the secondary has got to improve if we want to get, if we want to win this game. They have to improve. That is the main X factor for Saturday, bar none. Lastly, tackling. Tackling, tackling. What happened on Saturday cannot happen again. Square up, press the hip, drive your feet, wrap up, and fly to the freaking football. We are an SEC West team that has a physical brand of football. We need to play like it. If we miss tackles against AM, it's going to be a long and embarrassing night for us. It's going to be really deflating to as a fan base to a football team if we let A-Chain and Anaya Smith run all over us. God, I hate losing Texas A&M more than anyone. And all I want to do is just remind them of where they are. This fan base is delusional believing that they have national championship aspirations every year when they've never finished top four in a sport since like 1950. Now, last year... Hawks fool around, stop the Aggies in the backfield numerous times with more than one defender bringing, back, bringing down the ball carrier. That's got to happen again. Now, all in all, the Razorback defense is the determinant in this game, mainly our secondary. But like I said earlier, I believe this is going to be the most prepared and ready this team has been all year after the lack of effort and preparation almost led to an embarrassing loss on Saturday. As long as the Hog front seven can get a push, our secondary limit penalties – keep things in front of us and cut out the big plays and just our defense as a whole tackles better than we did against Missouri State. It doesn't have to be a whole lot better, but just anything better on Saturday, we're going to win. I believe we are the better team. We are better offensively. We have more experience. We are the more physical team. We have the better coach, in my opinion. And I think we are a better defensive team than what we've shown because no matter how bad our defense has been the first three games, we still have won. You know, A&M has held people to 14 points in, or 17 points in lost games this season. Our offense is going to grind it out when we need them to. We know that. But we must be more secure with the football. A&M doesn't force many turnovers, and their defense keeps them in games, but they haven't faced an offense like ours yet. Hogs got to come to play Saturday with the full package. No chink in the armor. Make a statement that Arkansas is the real deal, and we ain't here to mess around, and that last year wasn't a fluke. A dub on Saturday gives this team the confidence we need heading into a brutal middle half of the season. All righty. Now for the fun stuff, less stressful stuff. SEC schedule and Peyton's play of the weekend. Kentucky, 24-point favorites against Northern Illinois. South Carolina, 21-point favorites against Charlotte. Don't care. Georgia's 42-point favorites against Kent State. I feel bad for Kent State. <clears throat> Tennessee is 10-point favorites against Florida. I like that a lot. Alabama is 43-point favorites against Vandy. Vandy fixing to shock the world. A&M is 2-point favorites against Arkansas. That is bullshit. Auburn is 7-point favorites against Mizzou. Mississippi State is 32-point favorites against Bowling Green. Ole Miss is 21-point favorites against Tulsa. And LSU is 30-point favorites against New Mexico. Now, Peyton's play of the weekend. I'm feeling a three-for-three three week. I don't know about y'all. Y'all can fade me if you want to, but I'm confident in this week. I know I've said that the past few weeks, but I'm real confident. I ain't missing. 
Normally, I don't like to bet on the Razorbacks because I don't want to add any more stress to myself than I already do. But I'm riding with the Hawks plus two and a half. I was able to get it two and a half at the beginning of the week. I think it's down to two now. I like Auburn as seven-point favorites against Mizzou. I think Auburn's going to roll into Missouri and whoop that, whoop that ass. And Ole Miss, I like them covering 21 points against Tulsa. You can parlay it if you want to. You can fade it if you want to. I don't care. Those are the plays of the week, and we're not missing. We're going to get back in the winning column. All right, well, that wraps up this week's episode of Views from the Hill. I really appreciate all the love and feedback you guys have given to this podcast and all the support. This weekend's huge. It's a season-defining game. I hate A&M as much as the next Hawk fan, but the Hawks need secondary to step up big on Saturday. D-line's got to step up big on Saturday. As a whole, we got to tackle better. Offensively, we've got to hold on to the football. We do all those things, cut down the big plays and the penalties. Hall's going to walk away victorious, and I think we're going to win 35-24. That's my score prediction. All righty, well, next time I see y'all, hopefully the Hogs are 4-0, and maybe, just maybe, college game deal will be headed to the hill.